BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out and I'm going to make you walk home. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, October 9th, 2020. Uh, of course, you can listen anytime. I'll read you the headline in the New York Times. This is unbelievable, though it's not unbelievable. Um... President lashes out at his aides with calls to indict political rivals. Doctor clears Trump for public return as he balks at virtual debate. Doctor Vinnie Boombats, that's Donald Trump's doctor. Found the doctor will do whatever he says. Trump is completely unhinged. We're going to be talking about that and other things with my uh, special guest and uh, my distinguished guest, as I ask all bonus guests to do. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Delmarie Cobb um, of uh, Publicity Works, and I'm a veteran <laughs> media and political consultant. When she says veteran, she's bit, she means she's been around, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Delmarie and I have been around a long time. All right. right. Uh, <laughs> we're a couple of people who've been around a long time. And before, there's so much to talk about, Delmarie. I know you want to talk a little bit about crime in Chicago and policing strategies uh, that's always uh, on your mind. And uh, we want to talk about the Kamala Harris performance in the debate and, uh, you know, how Pence treated her double standard, all these things. Talk about the, the election and everything. But I got to ask you uh, just what I was reading, that headline that just was in The New York Times about Donald Trump. I've never and I've been around a long time, Delmarie. I've been around about as long as you have. I've never, <laughs> never seen a politician so unhinged. Never, oh, absolutely. ever, ever. Go ahead. No, absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, but the problem is that his own party has allowed him to be unhinged. And once you push the envelope, people don't come back. <laughs> they push it more and more and more. And that's what we're seeing is that he got away with one thing and so if I got away with that, I can get away with this and I can get away with that and I can get away with this. And we're going to see that. That's why we cannot let this man be reelected because there's no telling what he'll do. I mean, we already saw what's going on in Michigan with the governor there, and he is very much responsible for that. I've been saying for months now that uh, he was trying to create a race war. And the difference in, in him trying to create a race war and other people trying is that the ingredients are now all there that weren't there before. And those ingredients are walking around with long guns in public, something that could not be done before. And if black people had stormed 
the General Assembly in Michigan with long guns, there would have been race riots. Oh, my God. Let's I mean, let's just take a point to do a little uh, history lesson here. I've, I've said this on the show in the past. I don't know if I've ever said it to you, but you raised black people with guns. The only time I could ever recall Ronald Reagan and the NRA coming out for gun control is when the Black Panther Party of California uh, took to, I'm not making this up, Del Marie, took to Sacramento and the halls of the state house in California, armed. And they were taking advantage of laws that enabled them to do that. And all of a sudden, Ronald Reagan, who was governor of California at the time, oh, well, we need some guns. We can't just have black people walking around. He didn't literally say that, Del Marie but that was kind of the, the premise behind it. But you're absolutely I correct. I remember those. I remember, remember those that? photos. Yes. Of of, uh, of of Huey P. Newton and and all of them standing there with their guns. And their black leather jackets, and they were scaring the hell right. out of uh, white white people everywhere. Uh, I I don't understand how it's not frightening. Maybe it is frightening. I don't know. Help me with this one, Delmarie. The specter of these militiamen with their guns. I I find it upsetting how do you think it plays to the general public go ahead i mean it's very upsetting and and i I have written about this uh that who are they who are they afraid of who are they arming for they're only arming for one purpose and that is black people i mean the whole idea is to make black people the boogeyman of the country and everybody white needs to protect themselves from these vicious people. And that's what he, I mean, that's, those are the dog whistles that Donald Trump is saying constantly when he talks about a vote for Biden is a vote for President Harris. He's saying the last thing you want is the black woman to be in the White House as the president. When he talks about the suburbs, and us moving to the suburbs, he's saying, oh, you know, protect your white women, <laughs> because if they start coming out there, they're going to be in trouble. I mean, it's all the same racial in- innuendos and, and, and threats that have been used throughout history since slavery about black people. Uh, and you've worked on campaigns in the past, uh, polit- uh, presidential pan- campaigns as well. You uh, were uh, Jesse Jackson's press secretary uh, in 88. Uh, how do you think it's playing in America in 2020, this overt racial appeals that Donald Trump is making? Well, obviously, the fact that the Republicans still think they can do it, and it's Willie Horton all over again. You're talking about 88. That's exactly what it is. It's Willie Horton all over again. It's just that, you know, we have different people to use. I mean, even what uh, Oberweiss is saying about um, Lauren Underwood when he says she thinks protests are beautiful. Protests and looting, that's not beautiful. That's not what she said. But all of those are dog whistles, and they must work, or they wouldn't keep going back to the tried and true. Well, uh, or maybe it's a desperate uh, Hail Mary. I really hope it doesn't work uh, in this go-around. And by the way, just going back to uh, what Oberweiss said, uh, it's like protest and looting. Like, they're the same thing. Right. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. 
you know, it's like complying to the same thing. Unless, of course, it's uh, militiamen protesting, uh, then I guess it's a good thing. Uh, All right. President Harris, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, you said it. So I I just had this vision of President Harris. Uh, (laughs) As I recall, Marie, as I recall, I was much more pro Kamala Harris over the summer of 2019 than you were. We had our conversations. You came in here frequently, uh, came on the show frequently uh, to talk about the campaign as it was unfolding. What's your take on Kamala Harris uh, now, uh, particularly after Wednesday's debate? No, I mean, I thought she would do well and she did do well and and she stuck to whatever the campaign, consultants told her, her team told her, and that is, don't react no matter what. Whatever he does, whatever he says, don't react. Just keep fighting back with the with the facts. And the other thing is starting out with COVID. I mean, the fact that you had the plexiglass there, that they were seated 12 feet apart, all of those things, start out with that. I don't care what they talk about and keep coming back to that because they cannot run from that. And when he is the chairman of the task force, we really can't run from it. Did you, uh, would you have given her the same advice? Don't react to what he says. I would have given her that advice to some degree. Yes, because uh, as has been noted and, and something that as black women we're, we deal with all the time as black people, period. Uh, the angry black woman, you know, uh, sister girl, you know, all of those things. We got to deal with all of that. So no matter how educated you are, no matter how many degrees you have, you still got to deal with that. So, you know, it was she she had to walk a tightrope in terms of be animated, not too animated, fight back, don't fight back too much. You know, I mean, those are the things he had to go back and forth on. And to some degree, so did Mike Pence, because it was a man debating a woman and so and a, and a woman moderator. And we saw the fact that he ignored Susan Page, Page's admonitions to stop talking was part of the fact that for women, it came off as very sexist. You know, let's talk about that. Obviously, uh, Mike Pence, he was coached before that debate mm-hmm. uh, as well. And who's ever coaching him clearly coached him to do whatever he wanted in the face of admonitions from Susan Page, the moderator. Now, why is it okay for Mike Pence to break the rules, but Kamala Harris has to abide by the rules? because there's a double standard out here and 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 whether we like it or not it exists and you have to deal with it i mean um a prime example is just the descriptions of kamala harris uh when you know she was being considered for vice president she's ambitious well what you're not supposed to be ambitious i mean it was the same thing with jesse jackson when he ran I mean, I got so tired of hearing, what does Jesse want? What do you mean, what does he want? What did Reagan want? What did Bush want? What did Clinton want? What do all of them want? I mean, so why was it every headline, Time Magazine, every headline across the country 
what does Jesse really want? What do you think they were getting at with those headlines? Oh, as a black person, you can't, you know, you, you're not equal. You can't be wanting to be president for the same reasons we want to be president. You've got to have an ulterior motive. What is that ulterior motive? What are you going to do when you get in the White House? Are you going to give everything to black people, everything away to black people? What do you really want? Mm-hmm. Or they could have been asking themselves, what, are, what is it going to take uh, for us to get Jesse Jackson to go away? <laughs> well, they tried that. <laughs> that you know, was very could, much a part of it. <laughs> you know, that could have been thinking like, what do we got to give this guy to get him to leave? God damn it. I know. Uh, I know. That could have been the unstated part of that question. Right. Uh, but what they, if they really knew black people though, they would, they would know that um, actually when you put us in positions because of racism and because of, the history in, of, of, of us in this country, we usually don't do anything for each other because we're too afraid to be viewed as doing something special for black people. Well, I'm going to make one exception to that uh, in my lifetime. Uh, my favorite politician, Harold Washington. You and uh, me both. Okay. And he said, uh, I, I was actually at the, the, the church where he said it's our turn and it was, it was a really amazing speech. It was like a riff. I don't even know if it was written, Delmarie. Uh, and of course, it got turned against him. But he was trying. He, he was trying to eradicate inequities that had gone back to the turn of the century, the last century, not this century. Uh, <laughs> and I believe he did in those first well, we four had, years. Black people had had two. Poli- There's only been two politicians in my lifetime in this city that actually thought out the box and thought in ways that push black people forward, push their circumstances forward, made them front and center. And those two people were Harold Washington and Jesse Jr. And it's a shame that both of them were cut short one self-inflicted wound and the yeah. other by him dying. Uh, and black people have never, unfortunately, had an opportunity to truly benefit from someone who, not we're going to give you more, but let's try to eradicate all the inequities that have been done to you so that you at least are on an even playing field and have a fighting chance. I would uh, give a shout out uh, to to Ralph Metcalf at the end of his career. I mean, we, this is a conversation we probably should have a whole show on, but uh, let's just give a shout out to Ralph Metcalf because he did take the stand against police brutality when we get to that. And then Mayor Daly, uh, Richard J. Daly, cut him off, try to punish him, Del Marie Cobb, <laughs> for taking that stand. If you recall, I ran Erwin France against him. So I would give a little shout and out to him. And there were others, I mean, and there were others, I mean, my mother talked about about Dawson and uh, how strong Dawson was. And, and, you know, Dawson was offered the um, post office to be the um, head of the post office uh, when he was president. Uh, uh, Kennedy offered him that. And he told him, no, I don't want that because I can do more for my people in this position than I can in that position. 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, he was the that Dawson in question is William Dawson, a former congressman from the first congressional district for many years. He probably had as much to do as anyone with electing Richard J. Daley. Uh, and this guy, uh, back in 1955, when Richard J. Daley was first elected, uh, Del Marie, if Joe Biden wins, and right now it looks as though he's going to win, I would say uh, that the black voters in America uh, deserve a round of applause because he was their candidate by and large. Just look how it uh, lefties like me were for Bernie uh, Sanders. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I can't remember who you were for, Del Marie. I really can't. Uh, I've had so many conversations with so many people. Maybe you played that one close to the vest. And um, no, I said no. I mean, actually, I as I as I mentioned to you before in the primary, I can count on one hand how many of my candidates in the primary <laughs> actually became the nominee <laughs> because yeah. I, I I view the primary as my turn to be idealistic, to to vote for what I really wish for. And in this case it was Elizabeth Warren. I mean yeah. that's who I was that's who I was supporting in the in the primary. Um, but I knew from from uh, Hillary Clinton that uh, a woman was not going to make it and and people don't want to believe people want to come up with every other reason for why Hillary didn't make it uh, as president. But there's really only one reason, (laughs) one real reason, and that is because she was a woman. And so all these women who ran this time ran as a result of her candidacy, as a result of her being the nominee. That's why they all thought they could run. But the but the environment did not change. The sexist, misogynistic environment of America did not change. And so it would be very difficult for a woman to run on her own and become president. Now, if Kamala Harris makes it, if something, God forbid, happens to uh, Joe Biden and she makes it as president, it still will not have been on her own. It will have been due to circumstances. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to uh, Elizabeth Warren for a moment and imagine her as the nominee. Uh, Her finest moment, in my humble opinion, uh, in that uh, primary season of last year and earlier this year, was when she took down Michael Bloomberg at that debate. I can't remember where it was, but man, what a takedown. (laughs) It Uh, was unbelievable. It was absolutely uh, magic. It was just, I mean, just to watch it was magic. <laughs> so just now imagine Elizabeth Warren in that first debate with Trump. Mm-hmm. How, how do you think that would have gone? Oh, well, they would have been talking over each other completely. Uh, and he couldn't have stood it because he can't stand any woman uh, being strong. I mean, I was at the debate in St. Louis in 2016 when Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump debated. And I can tell you that to this day, I have a visceral reaction to the fact that as a man, he hulked over her and walked behind her as though to intimidate her while she was speaking. And as a woman, having had that done to me, and having men try to intimidate you, thinking that 
you know, they're going to put you in your place. Uh, and I just remember her turning and looking at him like, who the hell are you? <laughs> and just continuing to talk about him to his face. Because she didn't change what she was going to say. She said it to his face. That He cannot stand that. That's why afterwards he talked about her being a nasty woman. But what was so nasty about that particular debate, just to, to, to uh, go off a moment on that, is at that debate, he and his family brought all the women to the debate that, Hill, that Bill Clinton supposedly had affairs with. Mm-hmm. And they, t- they let those women have their seats that were designated for the family that were right in front of the stage. So their strategy was that Hillary was going to have to sit and look at them the whole debate. And the commission, uh, and, and Rudy Giuliani is the one who led them to the seats. And the commission came down, and we saw them being very animated. And, of course, sitting in the, in the, in the bleachers, I didn't know what was going on. I, I knew something was going on. You see all this movement activity before the debate actually happened. And then you saw all this whole role get up and walk off, and then the family came and took the seats. But the commission told the family that if those women didn't get moved, they were going to put them all out, put the family out and them. So those are the kinds of nasty, dirty tricks Donald Trump and his family are used to doing, which is why, of course, they sat in this debate without masks on, because that's who they are. The rules are not made for them. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sp- split on this in my own mind, uh, Del Moran. I'd love to get your thoughts. What you said is absolutely true. Rules are not made for Trump. Everybody pays taxes. Donnie Trump doesn't pay taxes. <laughs> the rules of the debate that he his team agreed to said, you speak for two minutes, you let the other guy speak for two minutes. Then you get your rebuttal. He didn't do that. He talked over Joe Biden and continually talked over Joe Biden. And then in typical Trump fashion, when Chris Wallace tried to call him on it, he started crying like the little baby that he is, saying that Chris Wallace is picking on him. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's what he always does. Oh, I guess you're, I got to debate you too. Only because you're not <laughs> abiding by the rules. And uh, Pence did the same thing with Kamala Harris talking over her. And totally disrespecting Susan Page, which is, I, I, instead of that, um, thank you, Mr. Vice President, I wish you told him to shut up or whatever. That's just me. <laughs> so rules don't abide. He won't play by the rules. Should Joe Biden debate Donald Trump again? Well, he doesn't want to give him anything, uh, Donald Trump, anything to use against him. I certainly, if Donald Trump doesn't want to debate this next time, uh, because they say that it has to be virtually and he doesn't, and he says it's a waste of his time, then fine. It's a waste of your time. It's not a waste of mine, and I'm going to do it my way without you. Uh, I would not put in another debate to fill that in um, because you have an opportunity. This is your opportunity. This is the date on the calendar. This is the date we all agreed to. We're in the final days of the campaign. We can't go around juggling our schedule for you, readjusting our schedule for you. We're on our campaign. You're on your campaign. You do what you need to do. We're going to do what we need to do. That's what you, t- those are the discussions that are going on in a campaign right now. And so, no, he, 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 
they can do the third debate if Donald Trump wants to do it. If he doesn't want to do it, fine. We'll move on. But no, we're not going to go back and forth this late in the game. I'm, I wouldn't even do the third debate. I'm like, I've had enough of you. <laughs> well, we not all one, have. <laughs> not one vote will change because of this debate. <laughs> right. You know that. But I you just that. don't want to give them any ammunition. It's like, okay, we don't want them to have anything else they can talk about because there's always one or two people who can change their minds and who, you know, these people who claim that they're still undecided. You know, how can you be undecided? All right. Fair enough. I don't believe anyone's undecided, by the way, uh, Dumbery. I know they drag him on TV, you know, <laughs> Be- Betty Bob from Wisconsin. Hey, just can't make up my mind. <laughs> I'll never believe. I'm like, lady, you know who you're voting for. Come on now. Ugh, I'm just confused. Uh, yeah, I don't believe it at all. Um, all right, uh, Dumbery, let's make a little shift here um, from national politics and talk about some national politics. You sent me uh, an essay that Sharon Fairley uh, wrote about police reform, the need uh, uh, to rethink our the way we do policing. And uh, just so you know, uh, Sharon Fairley what, used to be a client of Delmarie Cobbs. She ran for attorney general uh, in 2018. And uh, I voted for Sharon Fairley because Delmarie made me. Uh, no, that's not really <laughs> true. <laughs> but you made a convincing argument. There were so many good candidates. It was one of the few elections, Delmarie, where I liked like three or four candidates for various reasons, eight, all different. Eight can- yeah, eight candidates. Um, I was just saying to her the other day, She, you know, the fact that she never had run for anything before, uh, ran for one of the top offices in the state, and came in third behind the party candidate and the former governor. I think yeah. she did an excellent job. Uh, yeah, well, she got my vote. I think Dennis voted for her as well. I can't remember. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, the gist of the essay that she wrote is that we are in dire need for rethinking police. Uh, and that has been a theme championed in Chicago by folks outside the power structure. It's an important point, uh, Delmarie, outside the power structure. Uh, and uh, it seems as though Chicago is resistant to the notion uh, that we uh, need these kinds of uh, police reforms. Talk about this, talk about this struggle that's going on. Well, it just seems to me that once somebody gets in that fifth floor office, <laughs> they just change their view of the world. Um, you can see why police reform is needed uh, when you're a candidate, but when you become uh, an office holder, suddenly your vision gets blurry. Uh, And now you're confused because it's all about power. I want the power to make the final decision. And I worked with GAPA, um, the Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability. They were my client for a couple of years. And um, and they had done an ex- ex- extensive and exhaustive uh, community um, gathering of information to come to the conclusions they did, to write up the ordinance they did, that they introduced um, that... Rahm Emanuel then had put in committee 
and where it could go to die. Um, and the same thing uh, under Riboris, they came up with their own ordinance. Um, and basically, the gist of their ordinance was to make sure that any community oversight uh, committees didn't have or commissions didn't have any real teeth or power to make any decision making because one of the things they wanted to do was to have the the power to hire and fire a police superintendent that was one of the more important parts of the ordinance that um, uh, the power structure just had a fit over and like oh no you can't do that uh, and uh, your takeaway from all this is what? Well, first of all, the Justice Department report that was done uh, based on, as a result of Laquan McDonald, said that the last component that had to be done as part of a real police reform was to have a civilian oversight mm-hmm. committee. And uh, a, a civilian oversight police, a, a police committee, uh, to 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 make sure that the police are, were doing what they were supposed to be doing, and that they were being punished when they needed to be punished. Because under OPS and under IPRA, that wasn't the case. I mean, we had two cases uh, that were found sustained by OP, by IPRA. Out of 400, we paid a billion dollars. Chicago taxpayers have paid $1 billion in police misconduct and legal fees. I mean, so the debt we're in right now because of COVID is the amount we paid to families because of police misconduct. So we as taxpayers should want police reform more than anybody. Mm-hmm. And we should be pressuring those in power to make it happen sooner rather than later. And yet um, the, uh, the conventional wisdom is, is that in any way uh, accommodating uh, people calling for reform or change you're soft on crime. And I have this conversation so many times, Don Marie, on the show uh, with various uh, police reformers, the frustration they feel. And I just saw, I, by the way, I saw it in the debate on Wednesday night where uh, they got into the issue of policing and Mike Pence hurled at uh, Kamala Harris the accusation that she and uh, Joe Biden were anti-police and soft on crime and they want to defund the police. And we're always going to stand with the police. And remember, remember how he flipped the Breonna Taylor discussion? Right. He goes, right. well, it was terrible what happened to her, but we're always going to stand with police. <laughs> right. It's really hard for Democrats to make this case because then it, they immediately get hit with by the Republicans with your uh, soft on crime, your uh, uh, anti-police. And then you watch, you watched how Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, they respond by moving right, moving closer uh, to where Trump is or where Pence is, almost like they're apologizing for their convictions. What's your thoughts about this? This is ongoing. Uh, ben, I remember being in the room with 
Don Clark Netch, when she was being um, coached for the debates against Jim Egger. And, uh, and um, it was, of course, at the time when three strikes and you're out were, was uh, popular, and that was the law of the land. And the, I was the only black person in the room, and I'm saying no. No, no, (laughs) no, you can't say that because we already know who that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt black people. (laughs) You can't say that. And of course, the white consultants were telling her, but you can't be soft on crime. So this is something, I mean, we have, we have dealt with for so long, no matter who the candidate is. And, and it's interesting because uh, George Ryan, who who becomes the governor, you know, way later, but yeah. he puts a moratorium on the death penalty, and people are understanding of it. He's praised. If a yeah. Democrat had done that, they would have been ridiculed for the very thing we're talking about: being soft on crime. Debra, this is the most frustrating thing about being Democrat. Follow me what I'm about to say. You're right. George Ryan can go for a ban on death penalty, but Don Clark Netch would be considered soft on crime. Richard Milhouse Nixon could go make peace with Mao, go to China, and he's called a great diplomat, but a Democrat would be called a commie. The only thing Democrats can do go against the current is to become more Republican-like and end up doing things you wouldn't want them to do in the first place. So like Bill Clinton, he's going to crack down on welfare. In other words, just rip off the mm-hmm. safety net. And people go, that's a Democrat. That's a Democrat going to China, like Nixon going to China. I'm like, what? Why when Republicans do something that goes against the grain, it's good. You know what I mean? But when Democrats go against the grain, I always feel like they've just betrayed everything we believe in. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? No, I, I agree with you 100%. <laughs> I know. And it's just the position we're in. And, and part of that is because we, the Republicans, I always say they know what they're fighting for. They they are clear. We're I, we're we try to be all things to all people. Yeah. They're not trying to be all things to all people. <laughs> they don't care if you don't like what I'm doing. I don't care. And of course, it's never been more evident than with this administration. Hmm. But we care right. about everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're always worried about the swing voters. Oh, everybody, the swing. I've never seen a, a Republican. I don't. Donald Trump doesn't care about swing voters. You know, mm-hmm. he's not moderating himself in any way to get the swing. He's voters. not even talking to swing voters. He's talking to one group of people. <laughs> his yeah, base. His, uh, all right. Now, let's uh, let's close it with giving you uh, two uh, showdowns that are happening, uh, one on the national level and one on the local level. And there's some Don Clark Netch overtones to the local level with the fair tax. We'll start with the, uh, confirmation hearings over Amy Coney Barrett In your humble opinion, how should Democrats play that? Well, it's funny. I was doing political analysis, uh, during the debate, uh, Wednesday and the Republican, my Republican counterpart said, I can I can see the commercial now. They're doing the Republicans are doing an ad right this moment about what she didn't say. 
what she refused to say, talking about Kamala Harris and whether they would expand the Supreme Court or not. And my response was, and if the Democrats are smart, they're doing a commercial right now, too, saying what the Republicans did say, such as what Lindsey Graham said about not appointing a, a, a nominee for the Supreme Court this late in the game, so close to a presidential election. What Amy Coney Barrett said, she said the same thing. What Mitch, you can just go down the line of all the ones who said you shouldn't do this. So, yeah, if you want to add about what, expanding the Supreme Court, we should do an ad where you all agreed that we should not appoint a Supreme Court justice this close to an election. Now, they've come up with all these other crazy reasons that they obviously had some people research. And now everybody's on the same page talking about, well, when you're the president and you have the <laughs> well, party has the presidency and the party has the Senate and the party has the this, then, you know, you have the right. And I'm the president for four years, not the president for three and a half. And I'm the so, -and -so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. So no, no Amy more. Coney yeah. Barrett, and, 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 and as I shared with you once before, uh, in 2016, they surveyed uh, voters who said those who voted for Trump and made up their minds the last two weeks of the campaign, 20 percent of them did so based on thinking Hillary Clinton would make the court too liberal. So they uh, once again, they know what they're fighting for. We've got to know what we're fighting for. Because everything we believe in is at stake and at risk at this point. I'm with you 100%. But by the way, when you were doing that riff, that was pretty funny about the Republicans concocting these whacked out theories to explain why <laughs> they flip. The one the, the, the one I was talking about earlier today is uh, the Republican operatives I don't know where they found them because everybody's sick at the White House, but they found some spokesperson <laughs> to explain why uh, it's not completely contradictory for Donald Trump to advocate using a drug uh, that uh, is made uh, from uh, human cells derived from fetuses aborted. OK, and why, which is what I don't know if you follow this. He's he, he's advocating the use of a drug that was made uh, from uh, human cells from aborted fetuses. And he said, well, those, it's OK if you do it, if the, the fetuses were aborted before 2019. So I, I'm like, <laughs> what? That's all. Hey, man. Well, before I was running for president and changed everything I believed in when before I ran for president, because we know that he has changed everything about what he believes in after he decided to run for president. Absolutely. Donald John Trump couldn't care less about abortion as an issue. You know that. And I know that right. full well, he doesn't care. About and when he said, I love the uneducated, that's exactly what he meant. Yep. All right. Uh, fair tax. Dawn Clark Nitch. When you mentioned Dawn Clark Nitch, it triggered it. Dawn Clark Nitch, uh, you were working with her back in 1994 when she ran against Jim Edgar, the sitting uh, the Republican uh, governor. Um, uh, she ran on a basically a fair tax, a progressive income tax, raise the rates on the rich, wealthiest people and uh, uh, try to give uh, cut uh, property taxes. And she got clobbered. Edgar called her a tax and spend liberal. 
uh, and she mm-hmm. lost. And then Edgar later apologized and said he wished he had listened to Don Clark Natch. Always, right. that's an old song. Uh, so to get the fair tax passed in the state of Illinois, what do you think the Democrats should do? Well, I mean, they really have to make sure they uh, make their case and that people understand it uh, completely. Because uh, if you look at the commercials, and it's so funny because almost everyone I've worked with has been for the fair tax. Uh, when I did uh, Roland Burris's campaigns for governor in 1998 and 2002, he was for the fair tax. So we've been talking about the fair tax for years. And... Um, when I listen to these ads where they say, and the governor will have the ability to raise the rates anytime they want to. Well, the governor has the ability to do that now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is yeah. not new, but they're saying it so <laughs> ominously when you listen to the tone and the way they're saying it. And it's so ominous and everything they're saying in the ad is absolutely true. But if you don't know that and you hear it, you're like, oh, this is sinister. Oh, we can't give them the right to do that. Oh, and everything in the commercial is absolutely the legislature has the ability to do right now. The only thing the legislature doesn't have the ability to do is tax rich people at a higher rate. Yeah. So if you're making $20,000 a year and you're paying 5%, in taxes. And I have I make two hundred million dollars a year and I'm paying five percent in taxes. The percentage of your income in taxes versus the percentage of my income in taxes are day and night. And the whole idea behind the fair tax is to make sure that everybody pays their fair share and we're only one in eight states that has a fat, flat tax. So, I mean, I'm hoping people understand and not be scared off by the fact that Ken Griffin and his friends, his cronies, his rich billionaire cronies, are pouring money into this campaign and finding black people from all over the place to appeal to other black people who don't know the issue and are making them think, oh, no, you don't want to do that. It's going to hurt you. No. This is hurting you. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, you closed with this subject. We could do a whole show on uh, black people <laughs> making appeals for Trump against the fair tax. Del Marie, I, I very cynically have uh, advised young people, young black people going out into the work world. If you really want to make some good money, you should become a, Republican spokesperson. They'll take care of you. Very cynical oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. When that was, uh, well, I tell you when that really was prominent, um, when, uh, when Clarence Thomas was being considered for the Supreme court, I actually covered the Clarence Thomas hearings in Washington. We were the only black crew there. And I talked to, Every re- black Republican there is <laughs> in Washington, I, I filed them and, and interviewed them. And that really was the basis of every conversation. I don't know if they even realized that's what they were saying, but they were saying pretty much, if you want to be successful, become a black Republican. Because they'll take care of you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's actually true. 
the Republicans will take care of you to hurt your own people. The Democrats, on the other hand, they don't take care of you to help your own people. So I understand it. So you're not a Democrat because you're waiting for the Democrats to help you (laughs) because you starved to death. You're a Democrat because you believe in the right things. You believe that everybody should have an opportunity, an equal opportunity. You believe that everybody should, should be treated with respect. That's not why you're a Republican. In most cases, black people are Republicans because they see dollar signs, because they will take care of them. And the same goes with the machine. Even if you're a Democrat and you're a machine Democrat, you will be taken care of versus if you're a Democrat and a progressive out here fighting the machine. Mm. Truer words were never spoken. Adele Marie, I think we should close the interview on that one because what you just said, I took notes on it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to steal it. Maybe once in a while, I'll give you credit for it. Maybe I won't. (laughs) Everybody be like, God, Ben, you're so smart today. And I go, I owe it all to Adele Marie Cobb. But they're so right. I just wrote that down. Uh, Republicans take care of you to hurt your own people. Uh, and Democrats punish you for trying to help your own people. And I'm right. like, Lord, Lord, <laughs> Lord, what a system. Uh, that said, I'm going to say it. I am voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. It's I've never been eager, uh, so eager to vote <laughs> for any candidate for president ever. I'm telling you that Del Marie. never have I looked forward to voting for anyone. And it's funny. I never, Joe Biden was never even my top five. I I can't wait to vote for Joe. Biden. Tell me, I, I feel the same way. I cannot wait. And I encourage everybody. I know that we cannot leave a stone unturned. If you have a family member, I mean, you have to drag them by the ear. And to, to to the poll or or to the mailbox or to wherever you have to take them, to the computer, to register, whatever you have to do, you've got to make sure they do it. Are you voting by mail or uh, in person? I am actually going to vote by mail, but I'm going to take it to the drop box at 69 West Washington. <laughs> there, there you go. You shouldn't have said where it was because Trump will probably <laughs> send someone out there. Yeah. Intercept that ballot. No, I'm just kidding. It won't <laughs> happen that way. Dummery Cobb, it's a blast talking to you as always. I'll bring you back, uh, God willing, uh, after that election, probably after the election's right around the corner, we could talk about Lord knows what will be going on in America at that time, but I'm uh, I'm sure it'll be let's interesting. Let's pray right? that God has let's pray that God has mercy on us. Absolutely, and uh end this insanity. Uh that's Delmarie Cobb. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.